All right. Welcome back to the Relaunch Podcast. And again, what I am delivering to you is potentially new ways to think about some of the relaunches that are happening in our lives and have some great, incredible takeaways that you can start to actually incorporate into your life that will inspire you, that will give you that like, okay, hey, if she could do it, I can do it. And that's really where we are today. I have got an incredible, uh, an incredible gal that I'm super excited to bring to you. Her name is Anna Marcoline, and she is a psychotherapist. She is a life coach, and she has built a thriving private practice over the past 25 years. But in addition, to working with clients one-on-one. She's also spoken to companies across the country from those billion-dollar giants like Amazon to small businesses making a big impact. And that's really what I love because she gets kind of, she has the the both, both worlds that she can bring perspectives in. And I know that there's a lot of our listeners that are in both. And Anna has helped hundreds of people heal, probably more like thousands to be perfectly honest, from trauma, breakthrough, limiting thoughts, and confidently, confidently is the key, go after the life that they want through her evidence-based holistic approach. This is what really ignites me too. She engages clients and audiences quickly with her unique ability to connect with authenticity, empathy, and she's got a great sense of humor. She is not your average therapist, which you will find today. She's more like a personal trainer for your mind. And you know what? We all need that. She's raised five kids and you know what? Loves those dogs. She's she's seen it all at this point. And today she is going to give us so many great takeaways. You're listening to the Relaunch Podcast, and I'm your host, Hillary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach, widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility, and inspiring business ventures. Each week, we'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but an extraordinary relaunch. Anna, thank you for being on the show. And I am pinching myself because I have talked to you. I have admired you. And I know that you are going to be the trainer we all need today in this segment. So thanks again for being on the relaunch show. Oh, thanks so much for for having me, Hillary. That was just a wonderful introduction. So 
I'm a, wow, I'm like a little bowled over by listening to you talk about me a little bit. I don't think of myself that way. Isn't it fun to hear somebody actually, you know, describe and you're like, oh my gosh, have I really done all this? And yes, I did survive and I thrived and I'm, and you're now, you're delivering. You're like now bringing it to people that are so hungry to really understand how to up-level themselves and get past some of the things that have really, and and hey, I'm raising my hand right now, the relaunches that go down in our lives that we think like are insurmountable, insurmountable and be able to tackle them. So I would love to have you start with your own personal journey of what the most significant relaunch has been for you so that our, our listeners can really appreciate where, where you started and what happened. Yeah. So thank you for that question. So my relaunch was a personal one. It was one that started 20, well, started in, well, started in 2004. So yeah, it's going to be 20 years coming up. How I fast was, it goes, I right? Know, right. It's a little scary. I'm dating myself by saying that because I was in my early thirties, married with three small children. I was married to the man that I went to college with, my boyfriend all through college. Since I was 18 years old, we'd been together and uh, I continued to date him when I moved to Chicago. He was at a job that only took, could take place in the um, in Chicago in the trading business. And I was in graduate school here, got married at 24 and had my first child at 25. Yes. When I was 31, I woke up. It was almost like my therapist at the time said, you're a little young for this, but you're going through a midlife crisis. I, it's true. I woke that, up. What did it look like for you? A clinical depression, uh, a, a clinical depression, barely able to get myself out of bed. And it also, it was just interesting. It's, it's, it, there's two pieces to it. It was depression and also a total uh, over-involvement in running. I became, I started running after my second was born. I'd always been an athlete, but I got back into running. My two old, my two sisters were running together. I'm from the Washington DC area. They lived in the area and they, I was a little jealous because they were running all these five and 10 Ks together. And I could not imagine somebody could run six miles. I just could not figure that out. So of course me being the competitive person that I am, I wanted to start doing the same thing as them. And so I really got into running. So the way I dealt with waking up one day and realizing what have I done was I was running all the time. It was like an, an addiction for me. And at the same time, I became very depressed. The depression would, would build and build and build to the point where I could barely run because my legs felt like tree trunks. So um, there were two things that were going on there. I was escaping my life basically running it's, it's, was a metaphor. Yeah, it's running. I want to get back to the running was a metaphor, but I want to ask you, you know, it's interesting because people are taught that exercise allows for the endorphins and that helps with depression and it, it keeps you, but yet this wasn't, this, this wasn't happening. As you said, it felt like two tree trunks. It was not, it it wasn't doing what it's supposed to do. And you said it was more like, it feels like it was more like an addiction. You were like doing it and doing it and you had to go out and do it. What what was happening here? I was staying distracted from the feelings that were deep inside of me that were trying to percolate to the surface and I would not allow it. So if I could just run and run six days a week and run hard, I could stay distracted. If I could stay focused on goals of the 10K 
or a half marathon or a marathon, then I could stay distracted from what was really going on deep down inside of me. But then I was so afraid to look at. I, I knew that I couldn't even imagine or fathom at that time that I, I knew I would blow up my life if I if I sat still and thought and felt my feelings, I knew what would happen at some level. So just keep on running, just keep on running. And what's interesting to me, and I always push back when I hear this in podcasts, especially in podcasts from, and I say it too, it, exercise is a very important piece of mental health that I push all of my clients, therapy and coaching to engage in some form of exercise, body movement. However, for someone like me who is moving into a clinical depression that I could only be diagnosed by a therapist or a psychiatrist, people like me, those people need something different. They need to continue to move their body, but they need psychotherapy and they may need meds. And for me, what ended up happening years later was I went on antidepressant. It was a game changer for me and my mental health. As you, as you're going into this, for those listening. What is the difference between clinical depression and depression? Yeah, good question. So there, many of us go through situational depressions. We maybe there's a depression, a postpartum depression, uh, postpartum baby blues. That could be a situational depression. Now that is hormonally related, but it's one that maybe lasts for you know two weeks, three weeks, four weeks after a baby is born, but then we start to go back to air quote normal, our normal selves. Mm -hmm. A clinical depression is you must meet the clinical criteria in the DSM-5, which is our Bible in my field, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Illnesses. You must meet criteria. There's about nine, you have to meet about six out of nine to receive a diagnosis of a major, of a mood disorder, which could be a major depressive disorder, can be a bipolar, it could be a uh, cyclothymic, all different types of uh, mood disorders out there. So I saw somebody and received the diagnosis. I already knew I had it, but I received a diagnosis and that's what put me on the med. So most of us go through situational depression. Life is not a bowl of cherries, right? I mean, we're going to get sad and down from time to time, but we have coping skills in place that we can deal with it. For many of us, it is going for a run. Maybe it is going to a yoga class. Maybe it is going and getting a massage. Maybe it's going and seeing your therapist once a week. And we call those people, which is mostly what we are, the worried well. We're the worried well. We're pretty, mm. we we worry, but we're well. Mm. Does that make, I hope that that it, might make it, sense. It, it does, but I want to I wanna ask a question because you're right. We all have bouts of things that happen that cause us to be depressed. And there's a lot of, um, and I love that you're approaching this in such a way, there's a lot of, you know, bad information out there. Yeah. Right? You just, you got to think positive again. You got to be happy. And, right. and, you know, last week I was running on fumes. Um, we've had a lot of amazing things happening, but I was just, I was really burning it hard. And I woke up one day and, you know, I had gotten this email that something I thought was going to happen wasn't going to happen. And I just was like, oh. you know, I just went into this and we had to, we were supposed to have a launch uh, in December and just everything just, we can't make it happen. There's too many things that we're still addressing. And as we pushed it off to January and I was just like, ugh, like, ugh. And I sat there and I thought, you know, it's okay to be exactly where I am right now. 
Yeah, there's a lot going on. I don't need to sit there and say everything's great. Like, I didn't right. feel it. Right? right. It's authentic anyway. Yeah, just say that. Right. I go back to, you know, I have a concept that I I know you know, the 3HQ and part of the 3HQ had heart high self. In the in the heart, you know, there was a lot of times that I didn't feel like I liked myself at all. There was like, you know, hate going on deep inside of me. And to go, you know, jump over the 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 Grand Canyon to go to love. I couldn't do it. Like, it right. just wasn't possible. I had to kind of go to like first so I could go right. from not like, really hate, to like, to love. But I want people to really realize. And sometimes it takes a day to get over. Sometimes it takes more. When do you feel, because I want people to feel like they, you know, they've got to give themselves grace. Right. That they don't have to, you know, I talk about the tune in process of being able to pop yourself out when you need it, like through the day. And I had to do that when I was feeling like, you know, crap, <laughs> things are really not that great right now. I could do it. I could do a tune in, boom, pop myself up for one meeting. And then I was like, okay, but I'm still not there. I was, I brought myself for that quick moment. But when do you know that it's more serious than this is just a phase? I think when you are, you get off your routines and you find that you're struggling, you're not motivated mm. and you're struggling to get back into what it is that normally brings you joy. So we do look at, you know, we call it anhedonia. It's a, it's a loss of joyness, a loss of joy in life. Mm. So that's something that we really get very concerned about when we we're start to think that maybe that's a, a clinical depression. Now there's a time period. It must go on for a certain period of time. It's, it's not just a week. It's not even two weeks. It's longer than that. There's there's a pattern that you can't seem to pull yourself up out of. That's when we start to get concerned that there's something a little bit more serious going on. And is that so, when is that is that when you knew with your legs feeling like they were trunks and you said that running became a metaphor? What what happened? You know, it's interesting. I was a therapist at that time. I had not been coaching, but I had just started. So I was in my early thirties. I just started my private practice and I, at some level was the worst client or patient because I ignored all of what I knew was going on deep inside of me because I just couldn't bear it. I had been in therapy with, with someone who it was not a fit. Um, it's interesting because I'm a therapist and I had had terrible therapy experiences myself, which is I'm like uh, anybody who tells me they've had bad therapy experiences. I'm like, I'm right with you. I'm right there with you, girl. Cause I was there too. And I'm a therapist. I got to tell you, I have too. <laughs> yeah. During my divorce, I went to, yeah. and I did some things and, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I ran into some really bad ones. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, and if I'm a therapist and this can happen to me and I'm a, you know, I'm your colleague, then my poor other people out there who come to me like, uh -huh. yeah, so there, that's, that's a way we could have another discussion about that. But <laughs> yeah, but I think that, you know, so for me at the time, I just went into this deep, deep denial and I also denied my depression. Um, I saw what was happening, but I thought to myself, well, I'm still running. I'm still running five days a week. I, it's okay. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It just was, I didn't want to see what was happening. And so, you know, it wasn't until, this is probably a year later that I finally was really struggling with getting out of bed. And the only reason why I got out of bed was because I had three people that I had to get off to school and I had to feed them. But I didn't have those kids. 
Were you a single yeah. mom at that point? Had you gotten divorced? No, no I was not. No, I was depressed and un, very unhappily married and everybody around me knew it. My my parents, my in-laws, my husband at the time, everybody knew something's up with her. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with her. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's interesting because I would hear people would say to me, physician, heal thyself. Take, heal yourself. Take, what do you got to do here? Go take care of yourself. So I was trying, but I was trying to not use meds, which that's what's changed a lot within me at that from 20 years ago was that even though I was a therapist, I was really not really a big proponent of anti or psychotropic drugs. Even though I knew it worked for other people because I had worked in patient psych, I'd worked in a uh, partial hospitalization for uh, eating disorders. That was my specialty at the time, eating disorders. I thought, well, I'm different. I don't, I don't need meds like they do. Okay. I'll be the first to admit. I, I, I thought I was a little better than I'm stronger than that. I don't need meds. Like my patients love my patients but I don't need meds like they do. And that was what came out of the story of my divorce was I, I was humbled and the shame came in, the guilt came in when I walked away from my marriage and everybody in my family and friends walked away from me. And I mean, everyone, because I grew up in a very devoutly Catholic family and you don't uh, get divorced. Yep. You don't get divorced unless you're being hit. My mom said, unless you're being hit or he's an alcoholic, you don't get divorced. And it just, no one cared. I mean, no one cared. So it was, you know, take care of yourself, um, clean yourself up. And um, that's what I tried to do. But I also was not really a proponent of meds for me, which looking back now, it was just, I don't know, it was my young self, my younger self. Well, you now say rocking the skin you live in. Yeah. Right. So you ended up taking the medication, which literally changed everything for you. Changed everything for me. It allowed me. So it's interesting because at the time I thought God was playing a cruel joke on me because I was now had to go back to work because I needed health insurance. I was losing my health insurance because I was, my husband at that time carried the insurance. So I was in my practice part-time. I needed to now fill that with another part-time or full-time job. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I went back into uh, the hospital system into counseling. And I got a job working with cancer patients in a very large oncology clinic. And here I was in the throes of a depression. And at that time I was on meds. And if I was not on those meds, I don't know how I would have been able to have served my patients because all my, I was referred all the, uh, they were all stage four terminal patients and their families. I would not have been able to have done that work going through this horrible depression, horrible a uh, bitter divorce if I was not on meds. It got me through. It created a floor that I would not fall below. Mm. So it was game changing and life saving for me. And I was on, I was on, it was on, it was sertraline. It was uh, Zoloft. I was on it for about five years mm -hmm. and I have not been on it since, but thank God for those drugs. Let me tell you. So you're saying that you're not on anything now? No, I haven't been on since uh, probably 2009. Not uh, nine. Would you say that you call yourself, you know, that that personal trainer for the mind? Yeah. You know, you what happened there that you were allowed to that you felt I could I no longer need to take the medication. I was doing so. I just well, I had been in psychotherapy twice a week for years. Tell us what psychotherapy. Tell us psychotherapy versus regular therapy. What is the? Difference? It's the same. It's the same. They're interchangeable. So psychotherapy, sometimes when I say therapy, 
people have, have said to me, so are you a physical therapist? That's the only reason why I say that because I'm not a physio or physical therapist. I'm a psychotherapist, counselor, mental health person. Huh. Uh, I was, so I was on meds and the meds helped me do the deep work that I would probably not have been able to have done if I had not been on meds because the depression can go so low that sometimes you, your brain, you can't think straight to even do the deep work. Mm-hmm. So I was on meds with a psychiatrist who was a colleague of mine that I knew. And he was, he was you know, managing that and, and prescribing my antidepressant. Started at like 20, went up to, was it 50, then 75, 75 was too much, went back down to 50, stayed at 50 for a while, then 20 or 25 for a few years. But that allowed me to be in therapy twice a week and really do that deep dive work that I needed to do. Family of origin stuff started to come up, inner child work that I needed to do. And that allowed me to be more available to my children and my patients and my clients in my office because I was Mm -hmm. doing the work I needed to do. And then it freed me up. So here I can be available, emotionally available to my children. I'm in the moment. I'm in the present moment. I can listen to, to, I could do a family session with someone who's in hospice now and dying. I could completely pour myself into into them because I was taking care of myself. I love that. And so how are you doing this? What what exactly is this personal trainer of the mind? Like what are the steps? Okay, yeah. Like you yeah. start working with somebody and and you're finding that they're stuck. They're just not happy with their life right now. What do you do? So you're right. So so to answer your previous question, I I didn't I was did not directly answer it. All this time, I have been using the skills of cognitive behavioral therapy with my clients. And that's something that I learned uh, in the 90s when I was first in practice and actually first when I worked in eating disorders. I had to learn this therapy because I was going to be running groups on CBT with uh, the patients and very quickly had to learn it and since then have advanced certifications in it. That's where I'm a personal trainer for the mind because most people don't realize that all of us, and I mean all of us have unhelpful thought patterns and we call them thought distortions. So mind reading, black and white thinking, catastrophizing situations. And unless we know how to disentangle our thoughts, we stay there. We don't know how to not catastrophize because that's all we've done. So when I was going through my divorce and I was on meds and in psychotherapy, I also knew about the skills of CBT, right? Because I taught it. So I had to, once I started feeling a little bit better, I had to bring them in and employ them. Okay. Now, for those that don't know about cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy, therapy, just very, like, just give us a little bit of what that is. So what the work I do with, with clients is we all have thoughts, but we have thoughts that don't help us. So while we hear a client, and I do this with my coaching clients too, I think everybody needs to learn this. So I'll have a client say to me, you know, Oh, I had that presentation, that staff meeting, and you know, I really, I really should have said this. I really should have said that. So here we go. These are thought distortions because you're saying the shoulds. And what I say to my clients is, don't should on yourself. That's a thought <laughs> totally. distortion, right? So we, what we do, especially women, will do this. We beat ourselves up for should this, should that, or or a client will say something to me like, oh, I've gotten, you know, I had this. Me and my my best friend, we got into this little dumb little argument. I thought it was a dumb argument, but now she's mad at me. I know she's mad at me. She's not texting me back. I think it's over. So first of all, you're mind reading. 
Number two, your kitchen. That's so good. We do that. We claim to be mind readers. Yes. 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 You know, we mind read that it's over and she's really mad at me. And that, and, and number two, we're totally catastrophizing. So I teach my client how to reframe the thinking. And one of the takeaways for your listeners is if this, well, not if, when it comes up for you, because it will come up for you, always look for the evidence of your thoughts. So we can retrain our thinking. And that's how I'm a personal trainer for the mind because everybody needs to know this. These are wonderful life skills. Evidence of your thoughts. Yeah. So true. Is it reality or is it your perspective? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I I mean, it's, 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 I mean, every day I do this, you know, and I, I never get bored of it because I love to see people light up like, oh. I do do that. You're right. I do that. There's a way. That's just how I've always thought. Like I was a black and white thinker. That's because of the family within which I was raised. Very religious. Either that's a sin and that's not a sin. It's either do it this way or or this is the way to do it. You don't do it that way. There's no gray in life. And when I learned CBT, I realized, oh, wait, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray in life. It's not this or that. That was my, I was like, whoa, my mind was blowing up. Like, really? So that shit, that has changed me as a person. It's changed my whole worldview, really. That there's gray, huh? So many of us, and especially when you talk about your beliefs, right? Beliefs are 100% true to you. Right. And I like that you're saying, even today, you're challenging yourself with where, you know, where's that thought? Where did that come from? Is that really, is that really a hundred percent, you know, black or white, or is there, is there the gray? Even, even something as simple as I was out to dinner with a friend and I was uh, strength training. Uh, so fitness is a huge part today, continuing a huge part of my life. And so I was just strength training and I was doing all this kettlebell, this kettlebell six month thing. And I, hurt my hip. I was out to dinner with her eating sushi. And I'm like, and she's a physical therapist. And I was telling her that I did something. I think I need a hip replacement. Oh my God. I think I need hip replacement. I'm catastrophizing right in front of her. She goes, calm down. You don't have, you don't need a hip replacement. She goes, you're fine. I mean, she was getting annoyed with me. She's like, <laughs> and she goes, she goes, Anna, you're totally catastrophizing. You don't need it. She goes, calm down. It was like, go see the orthopedic surgeon. I mean, I love her, but she's, you know, she's very blunt with me, but I needed to hear that. I mean, she kind of talked me down. She was like, go see the orthopedic surgeon. You're probably fine because you don't need a hip replacement. She's like, do you see what you're doing? I'm like, oh yeah, I am. I'm really catastrophizing. <laughs> I worried that I'm turning it into an old lady. And I was fine. All I had to do was get on the foam roller and I was fine. I actually canceled my orthopedic surgery appointment. So there you go. I still do it. I mean, but I like that you're giving us, you know, these, are we catastrophizing it? Are we saying black, white instead of the gray? I mean, this is, we do this, right? And we so, do it. So when you're working with clients and for people, you know, that that are starting to feel like, oh my God, I am doing that, right? I do catastrophize. And I have a, a dear friend who, is now not traveling because she's so freaked out about being on an airplane. And I, you know, I kind of pushed her and like, well, what, where did that stem from? Like, what, what happened? How do you, we, we acknowledge that we are doing this. What besides just saying, hey, we got the evidence. All right, I now know, well, I, I, I feel this way because, but then what can we do? What's the next step after we're like, oh my God, what she said, 
that's totally me. I'm doing that. Right. There's, there's some different tactics that I use with clients. So let's say for a mind reading, that's a good one where you say, I know that she's mad at me. I know she thinks this about me. So, so look for the evidence. Well, okay. So we do a whole, we call them thought records. So I take a client through what we call a thought record and we have, we really kind of detract deconstruct the entire situation. Sometimes when we deconstruct a situation with somebody and I'm on the other end as the coach or the therapist going, well, okay, so you're my, okay, mind reading is in there. Is it true? Do you think it's true? Well, well, okay. Now that I do the whole situation, maybe, okay. Maybe I was mind reading a little bit, you know? So going through a thought record really does take, sort of takes the helium out of the balloon of our thinking in this case, that's mind reading. That's such a great way to say it and deconstructing it. I, yeah. That's so good. You can deconstruct the situation. It really is helpful. And if someone is still holding on to the thought and they're saying, no, what Anna, no, I, I, I know that you're, I know you're saying this to me and, and okay, but you know, I, I'm intuiting and I really do believe that she's mad at me. So here's what you have to do. Number two, you need to go talk to her. Mm-hmm. Hey, are you mad at me? I feel like when I said that to you the other day, and and I was challenged in my own uh, practice and my own learning of CBT to do this myself. So as an example, I had firmly believed that one of my coworkers was mad at me because we used to, I was kind of snarky with her. I made a snarky, sarcastic comment at lunch one day. Um, we're sitting in the staff room eating and I, you know, she was, she was a friend of mine outside of work as well. And she sort of didn't, I didn't think anything out of the time, but the next day at work, I noticed she was a little cool towards me and a little aloof. And I thought, oh, I know why. Cause I said that to her and I shouldn't have said that I probably crossed a boundary and she's annoyed with me. And I held on to that for uh, the whole week. And at the same time I was learning CBT. So mm-hmm. I knew that and I was tell I was telling myself I was really holding on to my belief that mind reading that she was mad at me. So number two, I had to go confront her because all the the thought record wasn't working and I did it. It was so hard for me to do. I was nervous. I felt like I was being weird about it. But I said, hey, you know, Susie, I made that comment to you the other day. Are you mad at me? And she's like, what? <laughs> she goes, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, that I made that comment at lunch. She goes, no. Oh, she goes. Oh my gosh. She's like, Anna, no. She's like, okay. She's like, my husband's being audited right now. We just got, we just got word from the IRS. We're being audited. She's like, no. She's, and I'm like, okay. And it had nothing to do with me. God, this is, this is so amazing because yes, this happens to us where we just were the mind reader. We were like, oh my gosh, this, this happened not even two days ago for me as well, where I was like, oh my God, I, I heard something. And actually I read it, which is even worse, right? Because yeah, right. we read into text messages, emails, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing's about to blow up. It's not going to happen. I wonder what happened, what was going on. And I went through the whole, like, like you said, I'm like, and I kept going deeper and deeper. Finally, I'm like, wait a second. Instead, I didn't let myself, I didn't have time to waste because I was heading out of town. So I literally picked up the phone and I said, I need what did you mean by this? Good. I had totally misinterpreted the whole thing. And I just sat back and I'm like, thank God I did this. There you go. It would have, you know, spun me out. Because you're spiraling. Because you're spiraling. Right. And that's what happens. We spiral. And it was hard to do. I that that was hard, but it was so 
it was just a paradigm shift in thinking for me when it's, I did that. It's so solid. I love you said that. But Anna, we got to wrap. Yeah. I need to know where can we send everyone so that they can get to know more of these awesome strategies that you have and and start to like follow you. Where, where can they go? Uh, thanks so much. So you can find me on the socials, TikTok and Instagram at Ask Anna Markaline, all one word, lowercase. You can find me on LinkedIn, Anna Markaline, and my podcast, the Badass Confidence Coach Podcast, where we're talking about mental health, wellness, coaching tips every week. So I'd love to have you all uh, come in there and listen and give me feedback. I'd love to hear from all of you. So thanks for having uh, me, Hillary. And well, we're also going to have all of this in the show notes. And I am so excited because I'm also going to be on your, yep. your show coming up. So looking forward to that. But again, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us permission to allow ourselves to feel our feelings, to understand where they're coming from, to understand these thoughts that can truly sabotage us and give us these incredible tips to actually say, wait a second, where's the evidence? Where is the evidence? So what a great show. And everyone out there, really think about this. Think about what you're doing in your own day-to-day. And are you allowing things to just bring you down where one call, one, you know, just just taking that next step to say, hey, what did it mean? What was really going on? Are you okay here? And then it's so amazing. Anna, how often do you find out percentage-wise that what you thought actually wasn't the case? Like you said with this gal, like, no, she's like, no, 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 actually this is, how often does that usually happen? Today, not as much as it used to happen all the time. Like it used to happen uh, several times a week. I mean, a lot. I think that's a lot. But today it doesn't happen as much, but it does happen. I just told you about my orthopedic surgery hip thing. I mean, it happens and it comes up on you and you're like, oh, just oh my gosh. On it. Keep yes. on it. It's a, it, this, is a, this is life work for all of us. It's life work. So, yeah. All right. Well, as we wrap, I just want to say again, everyone, you get these awesome tips, but take a moment, like think about how this is resonating with you in your own life and look at that one micro action step that you could take. And again, we always say, you know, live now, love now, relaunch now into that next best version of you. And this is what we, what we talked about today could be that first step into that direction. So thanks everyone. And we will be back again next week. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review. And share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.